0: On the couch this morning is Dr. Tharaya Kanafani, who's a clinical psychologist. Kanafani, in fact, a clinical psychologist at the Human Relations Institute and Clinics. Here to take your questions on depression, anxiety, relationship issues. 4001 is that text number, or you can call us on 041. 04- Four, two, three, ten, ten. We started off this morning talking about uh, parents and influencing children's lives but with reference really to the passing of Bobby Christina, the daughter of singers the late Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown passed away earlier this week after being in an induced coma for six months after being found similar to her mother uh, face down in a bathtub. That was six months ago. Uh, Whitney Houston died three years ago. And we were looking at how parents can impact children, but particular reference to addiction. So growing up in the household of an addict or addicts, and how it impacts you. Now if this is something that you've experienced. Let us know your story on 4001. How it's affected your life. Good or bad. The big message coming through this morning. Is it doesn't have to mean. That you're going to go down the same road. As your parent or relative. The person that has been a big influence on your life. But it can be a tough road to navigate there could be genetic factors involved your propensity towards certain substance substances and how it affects you chemically uh, obviously learnt behavior uh, also that feeling that you know and sometimes this is what happens the denial factor and this idea that i'm not an addict this is not a problem it's okay now in this case bobby christina she lost her mother she passed away three years ago I think some would say looking at footage and looking at the history of the family Bobby Christina was already taking substances from a very young age so would fallen into that with her family members but to look at the fact that a young person a young girl losing her mother could also impact her mental health
1: her her physical and emotional state of course you know it's an- like we said before she was hit with so many different factors that affected her um her drug use and and her life and her just her decision making process and in her life so we have to consider that it wasn't just the fact that her parents were um drug users that she became a drug user herself it was a lot of other things as well and for her there was just so many factors against her and without obviously the proper help because at the time people weren't really focusing on her they were focusing more on Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown and so sh- they were the focus because they were you know in the limelight so she wasn't getting the help that she needed at the time and um, some might say
0: possibly because of the money you know they were the people bringing money in to so around those people and you know you look at them i mean you know listen this is a world we're never really going to fully understand or know what really goes on. But when you look at, you know, people like Elvis Presley, you know, these people that had immense wealth, but you see massive dysfunction mm-hmm. in their private lives and how it impacts their family members. So there are lessons we can learn for all of us in that we're all human beings and we all may have challenges and we all may have, you know, things that happen that lead to some negative behaviors and it can impact the people around us. But there's also those factors as to Why the care and support wasn't there? Why did people not step in and say this is wrong? You know, there are those things to consider as well. Talking about alcohol just for now and uh, Babby texting to say this is a really interesting topic. I read a lot about reasonable alcohol consumption per day for males and females, which is defined by a health authority in UK and in Europe. How accurate is this and how do you define reasonable alcohol consumption and addiction? Where do you draw the line? Um, This is talking about adults and their intake.
1: Well, when we want to consider the idea of reasonable alcohol consumption, you also have to consider so many other factors. So one person can drink one beer and nothing will happen to them, but another person can have that exact same consumption and be toppling over themselves. So it's really not about just the specific number or the BAC, which is the blood alcohol content that is is suggested from the UK or from the EU or anywhere else. It's also about knowing yourself. It's about knowing your body and knowing what you can and cannot um, work with, what you can and cannot consume, and how it affects you. So if you're the type of person that You know just has a a glass and starts to feel a little bit woozy it's enough you know it's about that you know that that is your line if and but this is not to say if your line is about 10 drinks then okay go go for 10 no at all that's not what we're saying but what I am saying is that each that you don't want to take that number and say this is the definite number you want to take it and say okay I need to consider myself as well what is the reasonable alcohol consumption amount for myself if you if you hit anything above three then you know that there seems to be some sort of an issue yeah. when you're drinking. And that's why I was saying earlier about, you know, you can, people
0: will think, yeah, but I'm not an addict, so it's okay. It's actually like how you are, you know, what are you doing, and if it's affecting you, if it's affecting your mind and body, is it affecting your colleagues, your family, uh, You need to then you maybe need to be addressing some of those lifestyle choices. We're not promoting this in any way. It's just about understanding what is really going on, and it is going on everywhere, and as you outlined earlier, It's going on everywhere and it doesn't um, exclude class, gender, culture, religion, age. It could be children. It could be people that are very elderly. It can be across ethnicity alcoholism or alcohol consumption can grab and have detrimental effects on anybody and it's uh, certainly shown here in the full extensive list of meetings across the whole of the uae with alcoholics anonymous so you and this is not just for people that have got the issue with the uh, alcohol it's also for friends family uh people close that have got any concerns that are looking for some understanding some support and there is a whole list of telephone numbers of people offering support Uh, so do check it we put it all up on our website check it out on the Dubai Today page at dubai 1038com the blog post and it's also we put it into the health page as well and so if you've got any you're not sure even, just go along to one of the meetings
1: and uh, they have open groups for people, mm-hmm. for everyone, don't they, Dr. Thraya?: Yes, the open groups are basically the groups where anybody can, can participate in, whereas the closed groups are those that they ask for just the people who are addicts and looking to stop drinking. So, yeah. I've got a book for you as well, um, Addicts in the Family,
0: uh, Stories of Loss, Hope and Recovery absolutely can recover from this uh, so witnessing the addiction of a family member or loved one is a heart-rending experience but hope can prevail as shown in this compelling revised and updated book uh, in addict in the family the gripping stories of fathers mothers sons and the list goes on so again if it might help if it's a book for you to have a read it's up on amazon addict in the family stories of lost hope and recovery
1: it's in the paper book, uh, paperback version there Mm -hmm. so uh, you know not just this book but just in general when it comes to looking at what you want to do to help yourself or to help a loved one you have to consider the idea of first having that person admit that they have a problem and admit that or at least admit that this issue is affecting them in one way or another not necessarily that they want to jump to the idea and saying oh i have a problem but that it's affecting them and so in that sense to sort of springboard from there and use that as a way to let's get some help let's let's try to go here let's try to go there let's try to figure this out together and it's interesting isn't it it can be things that you perhaps
0: don't even realize that you are maybe having a dependency on so we've mentioned and touched on prescribed medication it might be something like that that you're not even realizing and maybe people around you are you know you go for that tablet quite often and do you really need it or have you thought about whether you still need it and is it having an effect on your behavior and the way you are are there side effects uh but also other things food is something else that you know people are can be
1: addicted to food and develop eating disorders of course and that leads to things like binge eating for instance you know and and that is where you use the food to to really fill the void of emotional um emptiness that you're feeling and so the, just like prescription medication just like illegal substances and just like alcohol it's another coping mechanism and so getting them past that type of coping mechanism is so important because that's really their go-to and so you're trying to get them away from that and to a more healthy and effective coping mechanism that doesn't destroy their lives. So for many uh, children uh, whose parents
0: may be addicts there could be a sense as we talked earlier of that insecurity but this sense of abandonment being let down feeling lost where do you go who do you go to how do you fit in you go to school or you go to your job and you live your life but when you go home at night you're walking into a totally different environment people don't realize when you shut that door what's going on inside those four walls and you can feel very alone in that situation but again as that person was saying before feeling abandoned by those that really should be the people that are really there for you
1: right and when we were talking a little bit before about the idea that our parents teach us so much they teach us how to process information they teach us how to love how to cope with things Um, so they teach us so much information and then when that person disappears or is neglectful or is hurtful towards you automatically that 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 changes how you view the world it changes how safe you feel and so just as she was saying my best friend abandoned me and although I know it doesn't make sense, but uh, subconsciously I feel that there's always that fear of other people abandoning me. And, you know, the lead researchers in in couples and in uh, in addicts have found that your attachments to your earliest par- uh, your earliest caretakers, such as your parents or your grandparents, have a, a powerful in- impact on how you view relationships, whether they 're romantic relationships or just pure friendships later on in life it, it changes how you look at them, it changes how you react in them, and it changes how you feel and behave in them mm. that 's a good point you made there about caretakers because we 're
0: talking about parents, but it doesn 't have to be your mother and father it could be a parent and their partner it could you know step parent it could be that you find your security or your sense of safety with a friend or with their friend and their family it could be grandparents grandparents is extremely significant in a young person's early life and later life if you're lucky to have them into to later life so it's also interesting isn't it how we define parenting and the caretaker because in this world they can take many different forms as long as and maybe we should just go through briefly what it is that in those early years a child needs to get the best foundation
1: for their development later on well you know a child always needs that sense of security that sense of somebody being there sense of somebody you know there are a lot of cases where the parents are not at home and then you have an elder child the eldest of all the other children and there's a a, a few years gap between them where that elder child takes care of the the other kids and that is enough and that is enough to to secure a child to be uh, to have a healthy and effective attachment style later on but it's when they're not getting any type of of um, attention, any type of attachment, they don't have anybody that they're close to. They they don't feel secure. They don't feel like there's consistency. Consistency so it's a huge important, thing, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's so important with children, especially from zero to two years old. We find that it's so important during that time for, for a child to develop an attachment to someone. And unfortunately what ends up happening, especially around this area of the world, that attachment style happens with the nanny, that attachment style happens with a maid, it happens with somebody other than the mother, either because, you know, she has to work and other you know, so there there are situations where that can happen. But as long as the attachment style is strong that that may not necessarily um, lead the child to develop some sort of detrimental attribute later on. Mm. So consistency,
0: feeling safe, secure, um, having positive role models around them. So how we define the parent is really what you're saying is the caretaker. And having that in your life, having that solid foundation is all important. And then how you go on to bond and form relationships uh, in your own life or very much to stem from what's happened in those formative years?
1: Yes, of course. You know, we have to consider that there are um, many different attachment styles that people develop. And when we consider how the relationship of the parents affects that, it all depends on how the parent behaves with the child. So if the you know, the, the main um, four attachment styles that we look at, uh, we can start with the idea of secure attachment style. And with secure attachment style, we have to consider that a child, um, and this is usually about 40% of the population has this type of uh, attachment style. And what happens here is that the kids with a secure attachment, they, they display a great amount of affection and a great amount of interest in the person that they're with. And they're comfortable also being alone and independent. So they're not dependent on their partner. They also prioritize their relationships and their family, and they're able to prioritize their life, and that the relationship isn't the only thing in their life that makes them happy. Um, They're capable of accepting rejection and moving on from the pain or from from, uh, some sort of, you know, when something disloyal happens to them. So they're able to move on from these kind of things. And that usually stems from parent that is there for their child, a parent that is close to them and has has created that sort of strength in their relationship. So for instance, when it comes to feeding, when it comes to nurturing, when it comes to holding, when it comes to hugging, these things are consistent. These things are available, readily available to the child. And that leads to a secure attachment style. Now, another attachment style that we can consider is anxious preoccupied. Now, that kind of a, uh, attachment style is where people are usually very nervous and they're stressed about their relationships. They're constantly, they need constant reassurance and they need constant affection. You know, they, they cannot be alone. They feel very uncomfortable being alone or single They have trouble trusting people, even if they're close to them. And what we usually find is that usually happens with when parents are not are sort of sporadic in the in the child's life. So they're there for one feeding, but not necessarily for another, and they're there for let's say the feeding, but not necessarily for the nurturing. So there is some neglect, but not complete neglect on the child. Just a lack of inconsistency, right? Very inconsistent, and so people tend to that anxious, preoccupied type of attachment becomes very um, overly emotional, very ir- irrational, very uh, sporadic in their emotional senses. So they get, you know, they they try to keep their partner, but at the same time, they're almost doing everything to push them away from them. You know so that 's another type of uh, attachment style now, the third attachment style is the dismissive avoidant, which happens when you know parents who are emotionally unavailable are completely rejecting of their child so that happens a lot in children who grow up in abusive households or in addict households or alcoholic households where the parent is just not available for the child at all. What ends up happening is that children. You know, they become overly independent, self-directed and often uh, completely uncomfortable with intimacy. So they have that pseudo independence, which is like an illusion that, you know, every person needs a connection, but not me. I'm I'm I need I don't need anybody and they learn that because that's sort of like their defense mechanism from being completely rejected by by the parent or by both parents at home so that is the dismissive avoidant like I don't need you I don't need anybody in my life and these
0: attachment styles as you're outlining just to clarify Dr. Therese, based on what's happened you know the parents at any age or is it in the very the formative years the early it's the years? formative right. years so it's the, the first couple of years right
1: the, the first couple and some i yeah. mean we don't want to say only the first two years but it's also throughout a child's life so up until a child becomes around 18 or even 17 we have to consider that this is a childhood age and so all of these things start to you know if a if a parent is very um there is a very present for a child up until they're nine and then completely avoidant that that's not enough. You know, you can't say, oh, well, I did my job for the first eight years that he should be good to go. Mm. It doesn't work that way. So you have to really be there for the child up until around, he's an early adult, which is around 18 years old. So that until they're really able to look
0: after themselves, they've got that independence of thought and and behavior
1: and and how to navigate and manage themselves in the world. Of course. I mean, we don't want to consider the fact that you have to be there spoon feeding no. them up until they're 18, right? But you want to consider that these things have to be done in so maybe when they're well, when they are younger, you want to consider that you have to give them much more attention than when they get to sort of the teen years. And, and when they get a little bit older than that, you want to be there for them, but not necessarily hover or be that helicopter parent that is just always there all the time and just mm-hmm. looking over everything. So these attachment styles that I'm talking about really are affected by how the parent is with the child throughout these years. Now, to highlight the last uh, attachment style is anxious avoidant or fearful avoidant. Now, what happens here is that this is when you have a parent that's usually very abusive, either verbally or physically abusive or very negligent as well. And so a child with this type of attachment is very insecure and ignores the caregiver almost completely because obviously they're very scared of them. So, what happens is that they have little or no interest in exploring the area or having interaction with parents, and that eventually leads to them being distant from others or very worried about the fact that others will always hurt them. They see relationships from like a working model like i do I do something because I need something so it's transactional rather than you know it 's because it 's good for me or because i 'm going to receive something from it instead they 're always fearful of it because they worry that. You know, either that person's going to hurt them or they're going, they're, they're really going to destroy them in one way or another. So these attachment styles is, you know, they're not, they're not complete, you know, they're not set in boxes. So you can have a little bit of a secure attachment style and then a little bit of an avoidant um, uh, fearful style. So you're not necessarily just in one box and that's it. You can dibble dabble in like all of these different types of areas. So it's important when you look at your own attachment style, you want to consider how you are behaving with your, with your partner and, or even with friends, because this also affects your friendships, It affects your relationships with colleagues. It it affects your relationships in general. So in that sense, you have to look at, okay, how has my relationship with my parents affected me? And how is that sort of being spilled onto these new relationships that I have in my life? Uh,
0: we've got one here, a question saying, I'm a dad of a four-year-old. I travel a lot for work and dedicate my entire two-day weekend to my son and wife because he only sees me for two days and misses me. I have a feeling that he loves me more than my wife because of this situation and that he runs my wife up the walls when I'm not there. How do I tackle this? And uh, it goes on to say, my wife has uh, never told
1: me anything regarding this, but this is how I
0: think it is when I'm not there. You know, this happens a lot
1: with children of parents that that travel a lot, is that usually when they leave, they start to act out because they truly miss the missing parent. And so it's very normal for your child to be running your wife up the walls because most probably he's missing you and he doesn't know how to express that except to sort of drive her crazy at home. But it's important for your wife to talk to him and have him express his feelings and to discuss these kind of things and even you to discuss these kind of things when you talk to him. Now, the important thing is that you're doing everything that you can when you come back to spend it with him. But it's also important that you're not just physically there, that you're also present. So it's not that you're physically there and you're on the phone or you're both watching TV. It's more that you're there and you're playing games and you're talking and you're doing things that really connects the two of you together. Because that is the most important thing. I find that a lot of parents, they say, well, I spend the whole weekend with my son or with my daughter or with both. But they're really not doing anything together and then really just they're physically in the same area, but they're not really interacting and 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 encouraging each other to to be more open and to be more present with each other. So, you know, it's obvious that you really care about your wife and, you, and your son and that you want to be there for him as much as. You can, um, unfortunately, you know, life, that's just the way it is. You have to travel and you you can't just quit for it, you know, because it's not the best thing for you all. But he loves you. He loves your wife the same, but he definitely is going to shower you more when he sees you because he doesn't see you as much as as your wife.
0: And I guess... um you know, he's four years of age, so it's absolutely at that age, isn't it? Whether you'll see this kind of behaviour when he gets a bit older, it's something you can talk about
1: more and explain more. But also talk to your wife about it as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because your wife is going to be able to talk to your child about it, because at four years old, a lot of people say, oh, you know, he's too young to understand, but they actually do understand. So explaining it definitely not in the same way you would explain it to a 16 year old, but you would talk to them about, you know, what is it like when daddy leaves and what do you feel when daddy leaves? And you know that daddy's coming back and you know that daddy loves you very much. And then even trying to Skype on a daily basis to at least show him that you're present and maybe even having the routine of before he goes to bed that you're on Skype Skype with him, for instance, even for two minutes. So having that routine and knowing that you are there no matter what, even if you're not physically there, you're always there at a specific time, or you're always there to to say good night or to say good morning. You know, depending on where you're flying to. So these kind of routines and consistencies are very important to children, and they could really help. I also think it's interesting
0: when it, how we you know define love and how it's how it's shown in that. He may be more um, expressive with you because you're the thing that's not there all the time. But it doesn't mean that he necessarily loves you more than he loves his mom. Mm -hmm. It's just how you show and how you behave around two
1: people. Of course. And and children have favorites. (laughs) They don't necessarily love more, but they favor somebody more than the other, depending on the situation, depending on the age. Sometimes boys will lean more towards the father as they're growing up. But then when they hit around, you know, 16 17 they lean more towards the mother and vice versa the 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 girls do the same so it really depends sometimes it depends on which one's nicer to them or which one (laughs) will give them the toy or the thing that they want so it's not about love it's more about favoritism at that point so but it's important to to just you know it, it shows that you have a lot of love for your child and so does your wife so it's important for both of you to just continue showing that And thanks for the message
0: indeed and um, this is not such a a happy story I have to say I'm sorry it's a a lot of uh, tough stories and challenging stories to get through this morning but uh, this is coming out of the UK and the tragedy of children condemned with drug addict parents so they're they're looking at this this, the little boy is Declan Haney and uh, he's a toddler and he was basically found he died. He'd been dead for eight months. His mother was a heroin addict. She had uh, covered up the fact that he had died and continued uh, with her behaviour, with her addiction, and just a horrendously sad story. Now, the reason I'm bringing this story up, and Dr. Thry wanted to talk about this, was to highlight again that here is a woman who who has parents of her own and you know there's even a card from one christmas from the grandparents saying you know to our absolutely special lovely little boy you know the, the boy had been loved but things had gone terribly terribly wrong in this family to be so disconnected and to have gone down such a negative route and not to be picked up by social workers by friends family around this little boy to protect him from what his fate was to be um and looking at some of the you know story around this is we can only assume he died lonely hungry and it's it's an absolute example of neglect and some would say abuse but what it does throw up is how again somebody that was a mother a loving mother who is completely taken over by addiction to at the the cost of the life of her son, basically.
1: Right. And, you know, it's a great misconception that people have that these kind of things are isolated incidences, but they're not. They're a lot more common than we than we think they are and not just because there are addicts involved but it's also the neglect and there's so much neglect around this world when it comes to children. People are having children just for the sake of saying they have children rather than truly taking care of them and unfortunately what's happening is that these kids are suffering at such horrendous rates. I mean you know that article, it broke my heart because just looking at the picture of that child and where he was and what he went through for eight months after he passed away and this is coming from a mother who was a heroin addict but had parents who were more than willing and more than capable of taking care of him but at that moment she was thinking of herself it was her and not her child and that happens with a lot of families it's not just with families that have addicts it's also of just regular typical families with no addictions and no alcoholism involved we have to consider that children are so important they are so fragile And the more we neglect them, the more likely they are to end up in places like my office. And for me, I would rather run out of a job than ever have to see another child suffer through a lot of the things that we hear on a daily basis. So the takeaway from this story and the reason why I really wanted to bring this up with you, Suzanne, today is because this really looks at the the fact that children are so important. And our sole responsibility as parents is to take care of that child. Once you decide to have a child that is your priority mm. you are no longer the priority because and because when you take that decision to have a child you've made that decision to for them to be priority and not yourself anymore
0: now life can take you over and in this case there has been talk that she had suffered with postnatal depression and uh, clearly a lot of issues surrounding this this young woman uh, mother's uh, life and so it is again as much as it's a very challenging story to take on board you mentioned earlier, you know, empathy and compassion and trying to understand the other point of view, the other's point of view. This person was clearly very sick and massive neglect was a consequence of that, that sickness. sickness that little boy also slipped through the system in the UK mm-hmm. not to be picked up by caregivers around in the community to, to protect him and to, to care for him. Now, other people would say children should not stay in the homes of parents that cannot look after or, or are deemed to be addicts. Now, what are your thoughts on that as a psychologist? Because most people say, it's, or and other people are arguing, you know, people can't adopt children because of their age or their weight or because their, you know, their their social circumstance. And yet, here is somebody who is an addict that was able to
1: keep their child and clearly couldn't look after them and take care of them. You know, it's such a difficult question to answer because the the truth of the matter is is that we usually suggest that, that children remain with their parents however when they're put in a situation where the parents are just really neglectful and it's just a horrible situation definitely it's better for them to come out but then at the same time we have these systems these foster care systems these group homes that that sometimes have abuse in them sometimes are, are also just as neglectful so it's like you're trying to pick between two evils it's such a difficult question to answer But I always I always believe that if the parent can get help, it's best to stay with the parents, you know, because the children need their parents or they need their caretakers more than anything. And but if that parent or that caretaker gets to a point where they're really there's just no help for them they're refusing they go back to their ways over and over again they're denying that they have any issues and this is not necessarily just with addicts but could also be with abusers emotionally and physically abusers then i suggest taking the child away from from that parent because it'll do more good than harm but you know, never enough mm. to be fully okay. The
0: first thing is, of course, their safety. And
1: if you're seeing the red mm-hmm. flags and you're
0: seeing the signs, and you'll know, as a psychologist, as an official, as you know, when you're called to cases, when you've got police that are involved, when you've got, uh you know, and in, we don't have in this country what we call a social service like you might have in other parts of the world. And that's something I wanted to ask you about as well. But but basically, what you're gonna you you have to do is take the child into their safety first but you need to be aware of the signs that are being flagged up to know that this child might be at risk so what happens here in the uae because we can't be immune to some things certain things i mean you know we might not be as so susceptible to certain challenges or dangers but we're not immune to things happening and you know abuses happening within four walls of houses so you know in your experience with what with what you can tell us dr tharia Are there interventions? Are there ways of going in and
1: um, taking a child away from from a home if we think that they're at risk? Well, what we do, what, what I have seen so far is that the women's shelter here has been so amazing, is that the women's shelter, it takes in women from abused families from and, and children. And so they get to escape from that kind of a marriage or that kind of a relationship or that kind of a family. So there's that women's shelter. And also I've seen the court system here work wonders when it comes to custody battles where somebody's, um, the child is being abused by either the parent or the Parent side of the family um, more than the other and so they they will give custody to the state to the safer place for that child to be in now in terms of do they have a social um um what I service, what, service I guess, yeah. yeah sorry i was um so so or a social service department i'm not necessarily sure about that i will check though but what i do know is that the system tries its best and you know there there's that cultural taboo as well where where do you define Um, where's the line between physical abuse and discipline? Mm. And that is a bigger issue as well. And where's, where's the cultural line from um, this is my family and I will take care of it my way versus, you know, I'm going to talk about it in front of others. Mm. So there's a lot of things that we're still working on in, in terms of helping these children. But definitely the government is doing as much as it can in its current state uh, there's there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made. Though. I've
0: spoken to ladies from the women's shelter here in the UAE and for sure that's absolutely right they get the support they need from um, the government bodies here and the police as well so again if you're in a situation where you're feeling vulnerable unsafe um, as a man as a woman, as a child um, as a parent then you can call the police, you can get help uh, but you're, it, it, it's it's as uh, for anything it's a brave move to make because you're opening up a whole new series of events but the bottom line is to be safe that's the most important mm-hmm. thing now, as a continuing campaign to keep you safe out there on the roads and with traffic awareness and remembering that safe distance and highlighting that the fine for not leaving a safe distance is 400 dirhams plus four black points. So safe distance gives you enough distance to stay safe on the road. Safe distance gives you a better position if you want to overtake. Now, some may think that sounds obvious, but look around you. Be aware and be safe whilst driving on the roads and keep that safe distance. Let us know what's happening out there on the roads this morning on 4001 and uh coming back on we're talking uh, this morning and some quite challenging topics and somebody's here raising the point about some people maybe should just not be parents and that's interesting isn't it you just said Dr Thorai you know in some countries you need a license to own a dog so the qualification to be a parent to be to take on that responsibility now there are parenting courses that you can do isn't there
1: Yeah, there are. There are many parenting courses and there are many, you know, avenues that you can take or even when you become a parent, if you find yourself sort of overwhelmed to go and get that extra help, you know, but unfortunately, what ends up happening is that people don't do that. And people don't seek the necessary help that they need. And and to be quite honest, there are a lot of people that need that extra help, and it's not because they're failures, and it's not because they they're not good at it. It's just because it's it's uncharted territory, so it's understandable that you need extra help. It's understandable that you would need to ask people and 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 see what works. And children are different, so you can't apply a co- cookie cutter sort of um, model to every single child. So seeking help, asking people for for. You know, uh, professionals uh, for advice, for, for tips, for strategies is so important to ha- to raising a healthy and, and beautiful child. And even before you get pregnant, even maybe right. to ha- be able to have those conversations
0: and to explore what it really means to be a parent. Um, And to hear it all from those people that have already gone through that experience to to really understand what you're taking on in becoming a parent.
1: And also making sure you understand the reason why you're having a child, that you're not having a child just for the sake of having a child. You're not having a child because you want to keep a marriage alive. Like you're truly bringing a child into this world because you're understanding that this is the priority in your life, that you are responsible to creating a happy and healthy child. And that should be the priority, nothing else. We've been talking
0: about uh, alcohol this morning as well and the dependency on alcohol and uh, we shared with you, it's up on our website if you are looking for support yourself either if you've got challenges with alcohol or indeed you are a friend or family connected to somebody that has those challenges and we've posted up on the Dubai Today page the full list of meetings around the UAE with Alcoholics Anonymous. Now coming out of the UK and other countries in the world, there's Al-Anon. There's are family groups they can help teenagers and again it's uh, different groups for friends and families of people that are have problems with drink with alcohol so has your life been affected by someone else's drinking there's something to consider and there's some points um, on this site that I found quite interesting questions to ask about this so Uh, Do you believe no one could possibly understand how you feel? Do you feel neglected, uncared for or unloved? Are mealtimes, birthdays and holidays spoiled, spoiled because of drinking of others or their reactions to the drinking? Are you afraid to speak up for fear the drinking or fighting will start again? Are you scared to ride in a car with the drinker? Do you avoid going out with people or being with close friends because they may find out about the drinking or fighting that's happening in your house? And do you think your problems would be solved if the drinking stopped? They're just some of the questions to ask yourself that might just show how much you're being affected by someone else's drinking.
1: You know, there are also other things that you want to consider if you're looking at, um, if you're affected by somebody's drinking, just also looking at how do you feel? how How is it that you feel when the person is around? Do you automatically have that, oh, no, they're here? that uncomfortability, just that instinctual gut feeling that I'm already not comfortable, that is a huge indicator that you're not in a in a, in a situation where is healthy for you as a person around that drinker. Mm, mm. So you get like a sinking feeling when they walk right. in the room. Right. Or when you can tell that they've had something, they're on something, and then you think, oh, how are they going to be and how's this going to play out? Right. And that cloud just comes in where you know that something bad is about to happen. And it also, you know, to look at, you know, things that you want to ask yourself when you consider did you grow up with a problem drinker you know things like do you overextend yourself or do you have a need for perfection? Are you very critical of yourself as well? Do you isolate yourself from others? Uh, Do you have trouble with intimate relationships? Do you confuse pity with love as you did with the problem drinker? Or do you make excuses for people rather than um, waiting for them to take responsibility for their actions and their behaviors? So these are things that you want to consider about yourself. Did you grow up with a problem drinker? Or or not necessarily just a problem drinker, but also an addict in general, because these apply for both. It's a fascinating area,
0: and we've uh, been looking there at the Al-Anon website. Uh, Just share that site with us.
1: Yes, uh, it's um, wwwal dash dot org. Again, we'll pop that up on our blog post
0: as well. And and, and if you've missed any of this show and you want to hear the show again, then do go to our website for the podcast, of course, for all the shows on Dubai Eye. But many people are asking when they've missed part of the show and they want to hear it in full or to hear part of it again, then by this afternoon, it will be posted up on the web page to check out the podcast. What's also interesting about that site is coming up other people's stories and also what happens if you go to a meeting. And, you know, in this day and age, what's wonderful with the Internet, you can connect with others outside of your uh, country and in positive ways. So, you know, it's how important is it to once you've sort of admitted to someone that it's maybe not you, but it's your family member. It's your parent or your brother or your sister that has an issue with addiction or with uh, consumption. How much of a difference once you've
1: made that first step and, and, and told somebody does that make to that individual? It makes a huge difference because at that point, then you start to look for the necessary steps that you need to take to become better, to get better. And if you are a family member that finally recognizes or admits that you have, you know, your family member is has an issue, it's important for you to get support because support is so important in these kind of situations because they make the difference between... Um, great progress and and either little or no progress.
0: Dr. Thiraya thank you for your time as always and um, you'll be heading back to the Human Relations Institute and Clinics. It's in Jamara Lake Towers, which yes. building? It's in uh, Cluster Y, so it's the JBC3 building. And obviously without sharing personal stories, but uh, in the
1: sort of remit of your week, what else and other areas that you can help people with? Well, I deal with a lot of um, eating disorders, addictions, I deal with depression and anxiety, of course, and couples and relationships. And... My But my specialty is teenagers, so I work a lot with teenagers, working with their difficulties and helping them through um, their difficulties, as well as learning disabilities, so assessing for those. So we have um, a great group of professionals that work with all different types, and, you know, if there's anything that anybody needs, they can just give us a call. Absolutely. And uh, just on that
0: note then… Uh, teenagers, alcohol, is that something you see much of?
1: It is, unfortunately you know, and, and in the UAE it becomes a lot more tricky because teenagers with alcohol, that's completely illegal because there's a legal drinking age as as with every country around the world and so here it can become a lot more detrimental because then you have the risk of the parents being in trouble because they are responsible for the child and then possibly being deported, so there are a lot of uh, legal issues to that as well and you know, we're working on it but you know, like, like every uh, state of a person's life sometimes you know uh, you know you have to work through the difficulties and teenagers are quite difficult you know to work with but they are an amazing uh, group of individuals and just knowing how to get to them is so important to help them develop in effective ways It's a fantastic job that you're doing and again you know teenagers children
0: any of any age wherever you're from it's about being able to reach out and find someone that you can talk to so we appreciate your time as always dr thraya thank, thank you very you. much to mohammed abdullah who's texting as well to say in the uae there's a family council here and they're doing a really good job in the community so thanks for uh, highlighting that for us this morning